it is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And again the devil took him up to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan. For it is written, You shall not worship, or you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, asking that you would open our hearts and we might know you more. Thinking back to a song that we used to sing when I was younger, a chorus, Lord, I want to know you more. Deep within my heart, I want to know you. Lord, I want to know you more. And I'm asking that that would be the cry of our hearts, Lord, as we are looking into Palm Sunday and pressing towards the highest celebration of Christianity, Resurrection Sunday, that we would recognize where we are in terms of our relationship with you, not looking at others around us, not looking at a lost world, not looking at a neighbor, a spouse, uh, our children, but zeroing in on where we are personally with our knowledge of you and our relationship with you. Send your Holy Spirit to enlighten us and to bring to life the words that we are expounding upon today. And we're going to thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Call this opening part uh, pastoral trivia. So uh, how well do you know me? And uh, some of you know me as, uh, of course, as a pastor. You know me as a husband, as a father. Uh, some of you may know me as a friend. Uh, you know my likes and dislikes, hobbies. Perhaps some of you even know my birth date. Uh, there are others that uh, know me in various capacities and family relationships. But how well do you really know me? So here are three statements, and one of them is true. I think we have them up here, okay. Uh, I have a good friend who sits on the President Trump's advisory council. Um, Number two, I owned a small business that helped create restaurant menus. And number three, I once preached to 10,000 people. So how many of you think it is number one? Any takers? Seriously, there are pastors on his council. You don't think I know somebody? <laughs> how about how many of you think it's number two? Okay, a few hands go up. How many of you think it's number three? All right. So either you guessed well or you know me. Majority of you picked number two, and that's true. I once owned a business, a small business that we actually, part of what we did, just a small segment, was help people uh, with the design of their restaurant um, menus and getting them, you know, covered and laminated and all that fun stuff. So a little bit of pastoral trivia. Now, why is that um, important? Why should we even think through something like that? And that is because my point in it is this, we really think we know a lot of people. We think we really know who they are and, and know about them. But in reality, 
as we start digging a little deeper, we discover, and as we go further in relationship, that we didn't really know the person as well as we thought we did. There are people that we see every day, and we know really very little about them, and, and yet we think in our minds that we know them. And uh, I believe that that is true with respect to Jesus, and it's important for us to to set that as, as the opening understanding as we're going into this message. Just as we know often very little about people in our lives that we see on a daily basis, then that might be the case with us with respect to Jesus, about how much we think we know about him, and in reality, how little we do know about this Jesus. The real question is this, do you want to know Jesus better? Part of the reason that we know little about people that are around us is that it takes an investment to get to know uh, one another a little bit better, doesn't it? It takes time, and that's a precious commodity. It's, uh, it's more precious than our money. We would rather give our money away than our time, right? And, uh, you know, as, as, as you get older and, and you get, you know, uh, like me, and you get a little more feeble, you know, I would rather pay a guy 20 bucks to mow my lawn than to have me go out and do it, right? So we, we are moving in phases of our life, but also just because, man, time is precious, and we want to spend it in, in, in valued ways. We want to get the most for our, our time. And so often we are able or ready or willing to dispense with our money more so than we are with our time, right? So it takes time it takes attention, it takes active listening, it takes responsive behavior, trust, attentiveness, and love. All of those th kind of things are involved in deepening a relationship and really getting to know someone. And so since it costs that much, this is what we do. We live our lives and we only know the Teresa at work, right? We live our lives and we only know the Larry at the gym. We live our lives and we, we only know Betty at Starbucks, right? We are not investing because it's costly to deepen those relationships and really get to know those people. And this morning we have the opportunity to get to know Jesus deeper and to get to know him better and to see how he responded to temptation, the kind of thing that every one of us face and to get to know what Jesus did and, and how he responded when the enemy came and attacked his life. How he handled temptation, where, he, uh, where did he place his trust, how did he deal with the, the natural cravings and desires that all of us have that are a part of our flesh and blood, our bodies. And, and what, is, what was his theology of worship? What did Jesus think about worship? And, and do you know him better than you did last year or yesterday or last week. You can know him better and he wants you to know him better and he invites you to come and get to know him better. And so if you have your pens and you have your Bible, you've got something to take notes in, pull them out and let's get to know Jesus a little bit better with respect to temptation. The opening passage read, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. If you have your Bibles open, underline those five words, led up by the Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Extreme emphasis on led up by the Spirit. I hope that you are interested enough in what we're talking about 
to come back in the next series, The Acts of the Church, because we're going to talk a lot about the Spirit empowering the individual to do the work that God's called them to do, the Holy Spirit's work. Led up by the Spirit. Now, you might remember that Jesus was baptized and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove over him. Jesus uh, welcomed the Holy Spirit to empower the ministry that he was about to do. So what we are talking about today, Jesus was living an empowered life in the Holy Spirit. He said, how does somebody fast 40 days, right? Understand he was led up by the Spirit. He was empowered by the Spirit to do the things he's about to do. The miraculous things that Jesus is about to do. This is the beginning of his ministry. It starts with his testing in the wilderness. Before he does the first miracle, before anything else happens, it starts right here in this, in this area of temptation. Jesus overcoming this and then moving into the various miracles that you and I uh, uncover as we begin to read through the New Testament. From the first one, turning the water into wine, Jesus was empowered, was led by the Spirit. We're going to talk in depth about what that means when we look at Acts of the Church. But for now, I just want you to underline those words and remember Jesus was led up by the Spirit. It goes on to say in verse 2, And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. I wonder if uh, you have ever walked by the cookie jar and paused <laughs> and said, not today. I'm going to be good today. And you walk on by. And only 10 minutes later to walk by that same cookie jar, pop the top of, off, grab four or five cookies and stuff them down the pie hole. How many of you have lived my life? <laughs> you have determined to be good in one instance and you cave in to the slightest temptation in the next instance. I, I wonder if we can even imagine, though, what it must have been like for Jesus. Jesus went for 40 days without eating, and we often focus our attention on the, the, you know, the, the very first attack of the enemy, of course, was in the area of, of his hunger. But think through the temptation that was happening every minute, every moment, every minute, every hour leading up to that. 40 days of, of going without snacks, 40 days of not raiding the refrigerator, 40 days, uh, you know, and, and uh, Jesus resisted that temptation, and it, it, that, that temptation was going on constantly. It wasn't just a one-time thing. It was going on constantly, just like, and they, you know, I don't know how long, if, if any of you, I know we had a couple of this year that did fast close to 20 days. And for those of you who have done fasts longer than three, four, five days, what happens is after three or four days, you kind of lose your appetite. So it's, it's not a real challenge, you know, um, for a little while, for a season. And not, at least not as big a challenge. I mean, you think about it and, and uh, those kinds of things, but it's not the gnawing, nagging. Those, that's the first two or three days, man, just the agonizing of getting past that, you know. And, but what happens is long about day 10, 11, 12, somewhere along the line as you're getting through this, that hunger begins to turn with a, with a, with a real, uh, you know, growing, uh, everyday, ravaging kind of thing that, that comes on you. And the longer you go, the more intense it becomes because what is starting to happen after day 20 and, and on up like that is starvation is taking place in your body. And, and your body is, I've heard of people that, um, you know, were asleep and, and woke up and they were eating their pillow, you know, who had gone in long fasts. Um, they thought it was a marshmallow or something in their dreams, you know. 
It, 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 it is incredible. And, and you have to get your mind around what this was for Jesus. 40 days of intense fasting, and he was tempted every moment to, to uh, uh, every minute of the time to hit the eject button and go to Whataburger. And Jesus didn't. He didn't. But he resisted that temptation to go and eat that meal, to, to, to go and grab that snack. Now, I have, Jesus was in the desert when he was being tempted. I have been in the desert on a horse with no name. <laughs> you have to be old to understand that one. <laughs> Those of you who are laughing. <laughs> and I, I can imagine that, you know, even after three, four days of, of fasting in the desert like that, the ants would look pretty good, you know. I mean, whatever you see out there would start looking pretty tasty to you. Jesus went through this, and he went through this for you and for me. Temptation number one that Jesus faced when the, when the devil came to him and said, turn that stone into bread. Let's read it real quickly out of verse 3. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But, but he answered, and he said, it is written... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The temptation here was to obey your flesh. There's a lust of the flesh. You need to listen to it. It's telling you what you need. Go get it. Our flesh would tell us, you know, it's, it's time to eat. Our flesh would tell us it's time to, to be intimate, to have sex. It's time to, you know, our flesh is telling us and we're being drug around by our flesh. And, and the very first temptation of the enemy uh, comes and says, you know, this, your body is talking to you. Listen to it. Your flesh is telling you something. You need to listen to it. Don't listen to what God says. Listen to what your flesh is saying. In fact, your flesh has a real loud voice. And it's screaming out what it needs. And it's louder than God's. But he had put his word, the word of God, in his heart. Like David said he did in Psalms. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so Jesus had this at the ready. And so when, when the enemy comes in and attacks him, says, listen, listen to your flesh. Do what your flesh is telling you to do. It's time to go have recreation. It's time to be refreshed. It's time to do something. Jesus says, I'm on a mission. There's something that I'm supposed to be doing right now. And it isn't what you're telling me. And it isn't what my flesh is telling me. It's what God is telling me. And so he, he answered him using scripture. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's how I'm going to live my life. Not what my flesh is telling me. But what God is telling me is how I'm going to live my life. And I'm in a season right now that is separating myself from food. And I am not going to listen to what my flesh says. I'm going to listen to what God says. Temptation number two. Then the devil took him up to a, a holy city. And he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if... You are the son of God. Throw yourself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And in his, their hands, they shall bear you up. Lest you dash your foot against a stone. Now here, the devil is quoting scripture. Out of the Old Testament, he's quoting scripture for Jesus. 
He said, oh, I see you know the Bible. Well, I know it too. Let me just uh, share with you what it says. I'm going to bring you up to this high place. Now you can throw yourself down because the Bible talks about how God loves you and his angels are going to watch over you and he will, he will protect you so that you don't even dash your foot against a stone. He'll just catch you and softly you know, caress you and bring you down to the ground. And there you'll be nice and safe. Jesus says, you should have read the whole book. Your theology is bad. Here, let me tell you what the whole book says. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And now they're combating scripture with scripture. Theology that's sound with dogma that's unsound. The devil says, hey, I, I read a text somewhere. And here's what it said. And Jesus said, I read my text in context of the whole of scripture. And here's what it says. Do not tempt the Lord your God. The devil was saying, do what you want and demand that God bless it. This, this was the pride of life. Do what you want, live how you want to live, and demand that God bless it. You be your own God. You make your own decisions. But the Christian faith is not about us making God our servant. Christian faith is about us becoming his servants, following him and becoming what he wants us to be. Temptation number three. Again, the devil took him up to an exceedingly high mountain and he showed him the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. What is this temptation? It has to do with the lust of the eyes. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. These were the three areas of attack of the enemy. They are the same three areas that the enemy is always trying to attack us. And Jesus answers him by saying, here's my theology on worship. There's one God. And that is who I worship. That is who I listen to. That is who I obey. That is who I follow. So he says, away with you. Nothing that you're showing me is alluring and looks better than relationship with the Heavenly Father. Nothing that you're showing me is worth uh, sacrificing eternity for. Nothing that you're showing me is worth letting all of God's precious lambs go and be slaughtered. Nothing that you're showing me has no value in the light of eternity. I am going to listen only to God. The devil was saying, hey, this is as good as it gets. Go for the gusto. Check it out. These kings are living like kings. <laughs> look at all the kingdoms of the world. Look at this stuff that's going on. You know, uh, look at the uh, all the advances that are taking place around you. And don't you want to be a part of that? Don't you want to be a part of the wealth and ease of life and the luxuries of life? Hey, just, you know, Go ahead and, and bow down and worship me, and all of these things will be yours while you're living on the earth now. And Jesus says, again, you have really bad theology of worship. You shall not worship none but the Lord our God. And I am worshiping my Father. I'm going to live the purpose life that he has called me to live. 
and I will give worship to nothing else. There's nothing else that is going on on this planet that is as valuable as what my relationship is with my Heavenly Father and what His mission is for my life. Verse 11, after he had resisted the enemy and the enemy um, goes away, it says, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. There's a sense in that of the food needs and whatever other needs are going on, the strength needs, that there's a season here that Jesus is ministered to. And that's true of all of us. You come through temptation and, uh, and victoriously, and what always happens is you have this season of refreshing. God sends a, a, you know, a season of refreshing and renewal into your heart and life. God sends a, just a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit to blow over your soul. Sometimes it, it's happened for some of you in the, in the areas of finance. You've had financial blessings after having come through a season of, of difficulty and temptation. Uh, you've had blessings in your career or, or whatever it might be, health-wise or, or whatever. But there are these seasons that follow victorious overcoming of temptation. And they, they, they did for Jesus and they do for all of us. Amen. And so, if you want to know, though, how we are doing, what's the measure of, of how we are doing in terms of our understanding of, of who Jesus is, the measurement of our life is to measure against his, and we have to know him to do that. We have to know him to do that. We want to measure ourselves with Bob at work. You know, Bob at work, uh, for all the things I like about him, he is a horrible husband. You know, he's... He's really got a lot of problems. I've heard him talking on the phone to his wife and the way he talks to her, that's just, that's just really bad. I'm better than Bob. I treat my wife with respect. Well, guess what? That's not the measurement. Are you better than Jesus? <laughs> that's the measurement. Are you doing better than Jesus? And we have to know him in order to understand that, in order to make that comparison. You were tempted... And you caved, and so did your neighbor, and so did everyone that you've known, and everyone you could ever have known on the planet has caved to temptation. Jesus didn't cave. And better than that, the reason he resisted temptation was to rescue you and offer you salvation. We learn from Jesus' response that temptation... Uh, he used scripture. He, he brought the scriptures. To, they became to life for him. He was not just talking about words on a page, but he was using uh, not only what we call, you know, biblical hermeneutics or the science of the study of the Bible to study historically and to find out what this meant to the original hearers. Right. That's what we want to do first. Find out what does this mean to the original hearers? What was being said here? An exegesis for us, uh, which Jesus didn't need, but uh, words, you know, Hebrew and uh, Greek words, they were originally written in. And so we would want to know kind of what those mean and what they mean in English language today. Before I go to tell you what this passage means, I want to understand it from that perspective, right? But the second part of exegesis is called spirit exegesis. And it's where we invite the Holy Spirit in the privacy of our lives. And he brings these words off the page. And they start living and burning inside of us. It's Jeremiah saying, 
I said I wasn't going to speak the word of the Lord. I was so discouraged. I was tired of preaching and prophesying and, and people didn't like it and they weren't showing up and, and different kinds of things were going on to discourage me as a spiritual leader. And I said, I'm not going to do it anymore. But his word was shut up in my bones like a fire. I was weary and forbearing and I could not stay. And so I have to preach. It's what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, uh, to young ministers who felt they were being called to ministry. He said, if you can do anything else, leave this room and go do it. But if you can't, preach. If it's burning in you, if the Word of God is on fire inside of you, if it is a flame inside of you, then preach it and tell others about it. That's the Spirit bringing things to life. It's no longer just a historical fact or something that's written on a page by someone that we've proved that actually lived and probably did write it, but it suddenly is life and substance. And it has a third dimension to it. It comes off the page and begins to live. The forces of evil come to us with a myriad of kinds of temptations. But all of them are in these same categories. The lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. We need to know how to respond with the living word of God and speak to temptation, trusting Jesus rather than trusting ourselves. Do we know Jesus? Or do we know just the Jesus of history or the Jesus of Sunday or the Jesus of emergencies? 911, hello, Jesus? And there is, there's, there's no better Sunday for me to bring this point home to you than this Sunday right here. 2,000 years ago, Palm Sunday. Okay? The people welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem by laying down palms and saying, Hosanna to the King. Those people thought they knew Jesus. But on Friday, many of those people crucified Jesus. They spit on him. They tore at him. They lashed out against him. They railed at him. And the people who said, we know Jesus, we hung out with him, we're the 12. As Amanda had talked about earlier, they scattered and hid. Do you know Jesus? They thought they knew him. On Sunday, but on Friday, they were okay with crucifying him. There was no great big crowd rising up and picketing and saying, save our Jesus. There was only a crowd yelling, release Barabbas and crucify him. What happens? Is people don't really know Jesus. He's not alive off these pages, in your heart and life on a day-by-day -day basis. I want to invite the worship team if they would come back. Do you really know Jesus is the challenge in our Jesus series? We think we know him, and there are new facets of Jesus to be discovered every single day. 35 years in ministry, and there are times that I sit in worship, and I think I know so little about you. I love him. I've worshipped him. I've studied uh, his word. This um, coming May, 
Um, I'll be graduating with my master's degree in, in practical theology, and it's been a lifetime coming. It's a lengthy story, but the story of my life is constant education and constantly learning and deepening my relationship in God. And it's a story that needs to be all of our stories, but I can tell you that even in what I have done and, and the, the research and the study, there, there are so many moments I'm sitting in my office worshiping God and praising Him and, and just realizing, I know so little about you. I really, you're showing me new facets in this moment of things I never knew. New facets of your mercy, your grace. Uh, it, the psalmist said your, your mercies are new every day. Your goodness, Lord, new facets of, of your deliverance, of your, your power to, to keep me and to, to walk me along in life. And you're showing me more about things that I need to work on in my life. I, I just feel today like I'm starting fresh again in your presence. But the wonderful thing about it is that Jesus has invited us to these intimate moments with him to get to know him better, to worship him, to to love him, to know who he is and how he feels about us and loves us. I want to invite you to stand with me as we worship in song in closing, and, and I want to come back and pray with you.